Let's open the Word of God to the Gospel of John, the seventh chapter. The New Testament record of the Lord Jesus Christ by John, the son of Zebedee. John chapter 7. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. And so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Amen. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak it faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Amen. John chapter 7. I read to you verses 40 through 44 that give us the next lesson. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Amen and amen. The lesson here we have in these five verses is the division among the people about Jesus. In verses 45 through 53 that end the chapter, it will be a division among the rulers about Jesus. Right now we have the common people divided into three different camps about the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's see what we can learn from these events recorded for us by the Holy Spirit. 2,000 years ago, these events took place. This discussion and exchange took place in the city of Jerusalem in the fall, six months before Jesus was crucified at the Feast of Tabernacles. What can we learn from it? In verse 40, many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, the saying is John 7, 37 and 38, in which Jesus declared, standing up and crying out that the Holy Spirit was going to come and fill every believer to overflowing. And out from those believers would flow the rivers of living water. That is what's being referred to here. He has just made a bold declaration, very short, in verses 37 and 38. Remember, verse 39 is John's explanation of verses 37 and 38. So the saying that they're referring to in verse 40 is not verse 39, because that's for you. And they didn't get to hear that. So we have special revelation, and we're thankful for it. But they heard some wonderful words in verses 37 and 38. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And so we want to thirst, and we want to come, and we want to drink, and we want that superabundant presence of the Spirit flowing out from us as we have learned over the last few weeks. Verse 40, many said, and here's the first camp of a position regarding Jesus Christ, of a truth, this is the prophet. Of a truth. They're pretty confident of themselves that this is the prophet. Now notice that it says, this is the prophet. They don't say he is a prophet. Because there was a special prophet that was to come. And he was referenced in the sixth prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 told about the seed of the woman. Genesis chapter 22 tells about the seed of Abraham. Genesis 49 tells about Shiloh coming out of the tribe of Judah. Numbers 21 tells about a serpent being hung on a pole and whoever looked at it would live. Numbers 24 tells us a star and a scepter shall rise out of Judah. And that's Balaam giving a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Deuteronomy 18, and I would like you to see it. Deuteronomy chapter 18 is a prophecy 
that God would raise up a prophet like unto Moses, and Jesus was that prophet. Peter confirmed it on shortly after the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 3. He quotes this passage. Stephen confirmed it in his sermon of Acts chapter 7. I'm just going to read it here for you, and I hope that you trust that it's in Acts 3 and Acts 7. If you don't, then you should search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. That's what it means to search the Scriptures. It doesn't mean for you to go home and be a weekend warrior and think that you're going to outstudy your pastor 50 times out of 100, because you're not going to, for various reasons that have been preached before. And I say what I'm saying right now with intrepidation, unless it be misunderstood, but that's just not the way it works. I don't sit in judgment on your jobs. The last thing I would want to do is call Matthew Jones up and tell him how he ought to do his job programming the robots at BMW better. Now, Matthew knows that before I got halfway through my first sentence, he should hang up on me because I can't figure out my own computer. Turning it on, I speak. However, you're to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. When the apostle Paul stood up and opened and alleged from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, they were to go find a Bible, and there weren't as many Bibles as you have, and look to the places where Paul had directed them to see if those places were there that actually said that. Because the confirming evidence was Paul's testimony anyway. I've seen him. But he's already laid out Bible prophecies about Jesus to be believed. And I'm laying out one to you, and I've said to you that it's in Acts 3, proven by Peter to be Jesus, and in Acts 7, proven by Stephen to be Jesus. Here we go. The Jews were afraid of God when he came down on Mount Sinai, and they did not want him speaking to them because it was too frightening. And so he said, I like your suggestion that that I get a man to come and speak to you so that you won't be so afraid. I'll do that. It'll just be 1,500 years from now. So here we go. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet with a capital P, here and there, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, this is Moses speaking, unto him ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Peter translates those words, I will require it of him. He shall be destroyed from among the people. And Jerusalem was destroyed for not hearing the prophet God raised up like unto Moses that spoke the words of God. Isn't it true that Jesus Christ said, that the things that I speak I've received from my Father over and over and over in the perfect fulfillment of this prophecy. That's what they meant in verse 40 when they said of a truth, this is the prophet. They did not say he is a prophet, just an ordinary messenger of God. This is the prophet, singular, with that definite article the in front of the word prophet indicating that it is one unique prophet that was prophesied of in the Old Testament. The Jews were confused about Jesus of Nazareth. They were confused about John the Baptist. Was John, was Jesus the prophet? Was John or Jesus the Christ? Was John or Jesus Elijah? They were just confused. We've already covered that in John chapter 1. I'll not turn you there again. Verse 41. Let's get to the second category of Jews and what they thought about Jesus of Nazareth. Others said, this is the Christ. Many linked Jesus to Moses' prophet, but others thought him to be the Christ. Now the problem was, we're already running into confusion. The prophet was the Christ. But they're thinking the two are different. 
because they haven't studied the Scriptures like they should have, and God had not opened their eyes to see the truth and the simplicity of it. There was one coming with a forerunner that would just open up his way, John the Baptist, before Jesus Christ. Jesus was the prophet, like unto Moses. Jesus was the Christ. Oh, Lord, thank you for making it so simple to us. This is the Christ. But you know what? We don't read anything about this second category of them repenting to Jesus and following him out of Jerusalem. They just make a mental ascent. This is the Christ. The devils know he's the Christ. That isn't proof of anything. But here's a second category. They look at him and say, hey, he must be the Christ. He could be the Christ. He is the Christ. But we don't read anything more about them. And this is not the first time in the Gospel of John, nor the last time, that we're going to read about those that believed on him and yet would not obey him or follow him. We want to make sure we believe on him fully and we obey him and we follow him in everything he expects out of our lives. And that's true faith. Because faith without works is dead, being alone, and it's no more than devilish faith. Why in the world did they separate that prophet, the prophet, the unique one, from their Messiah, Christ? What error. But you know, we're, we're in the midst of a people here in Greenville, South Carolina, with another Jesus, and another spirit, and another gospel. So it shouldn't surprise us. These people that had so little to learn, the gospel was so simple... All they had were these prophecies of, a, of their great champion, deliverer, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham coming, and they still couldn't keep it straight. But we wouldn't either without the grace of God. Right. It is the Lord that has opened our eyes and taken the scales off. He's opened our ears. He's opened our heart that we attend unto the things that we have heard out of the word of God. Let me remind you in verse 41, when others said, this is the Christ, what the word Christ means. I do not want our children to misunderstand. We use the name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand what each of those words means? Jesus is his personal name. Jesus is the personal name of the Son of God when he was on earth. Jesus was on his birth certificate, but it wasn't Jesus. Jesus is an English word taken from the Greek of a Hebrew name, Jehoshua or Joshua. You've been taught this many times before. I want the children to know that. Jesus means Joshua. Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. Jehoshua. In Numbers chapter 23 and verse 16, Joshua is called Jehoshua by Moses, which helps you out with the meaning of the word because you have J-E-H-O starting that name instead of just J-O. See, Joel back there has a name, J-O-E-L, Joel. Joel means Jehovah is my God, Jehovah Elohim, in four little letters. Joshua, J-O, with a suffix of Shua, Jehovah is salvation. Now, how do you know all that with a King James Bible and no knowledge at all of what I just said? By going to Matthew 121, where the angel told Joseph, call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It's beautiful. But I just want, what does Jesus mean? What was the name Jesus? Jesus was the first name of a real man that lived 2,000 years ago and who is at the right hand of God at this hour. Jesus is on his birth certificate. He was Jesus, son of Joseph, to everyone that knew him. But we know him. He was Jesus, the son of God, because Joseph was not his father. What does the word Christ mean? Christ is the New Testament form of the Old Testament word Messiah. The word Messiah is the name given to the great deliverer that God would send to deliver his, his people. The leader and the commander that we learned about in Isaiah 55 and verse 4. The name Messiah is for that seed of the woman. The name Messiah is for Shiloh coming out of Judah. But it's called Messiah. Two times in the Old Testament, both of them in Daniel chapter 9. But when that word Messiah comes into the New Testament, it's Christos. And so we have in John 1, we're told this. Look at John chapter 1. 
Remember, words change when they come into the New Testament, and sometimes the Holy Spirit gives us the definition of words. John chapter 1 and verse 41, Andrew has found Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. He believes he's the Christ, and he's going to do something about it, just not say it. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah. It's got an S on it, because when a Hebrew word like Messiah comes into the New Testament, it loses the H and gains an S. So instead of Messiah, it's Messiah. Instead of Elijah, it's Elias. Instead of Elisha, it's Eliseus. Instead of Isaiah, it's Isaiah. Just keep that. Remember, in the Bible, there are two occurrences, and this is another way that just in an English Bible, you can learn so much about language. There are two occurrences, one in Acts chapter 7, one in Hebrews chapter 4, where the successor of Moses, Joshua, is identified in a historical account of Israel, and it's Jesus. And if you're ripping through those passages... Acts chapter 7 or Hebrews chapter 4, and you just pop, pops the word Jesus, and you're thinking Jesus of Nazareth, you are seriously messed up in the Bible. Because you're in the middle of history following Moses, and there's Jesus taking the people of God into the land of Canaan? No. It was Joshua, the son of Nun. But he's called Jesus because of the, trans, the transliteration, the change of words from the Old Testament to the New. Here we have... Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ, the anointed one of God, the special one of God, the leader and commander of the people, our Savior, our Lord, comes through that word Messiah called Christ in the New Testament. It's his office, it's his position as the special anointed one of God. The word Lord is his role and position in the universe as the supreme commander of the universe under God. The Lord Jesus Christ. There is in heaven the man, Christ Jesus, as 1 Timothy 2.5 reverses the terms. Paul loved the words, Lord Jesus Christ. And the man that can confess Jesus is Lord by the Holy Ghost and mean it and live by it is proof that he's born again and can only say that by the, word of, by the Spirit of the living God. The Lord Jesus Christ. Love those words. The Lord Jesus Christ. I recently heard a prayer where a man could hardly get to the subject that he was supposed to be praying for because all he could do was bless the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we ought to be thinking about. I love what we heard in a prayer that was just offered before I took this pulpit. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. Jesus is His personal name. Christ is His office as the Messiah of God. Lord is His position over the universe. Love those words. And so we're in John chapter 7 and verse 41. Others said, this is the Christ, and that's what they meant about him. Like Christians today, there are many diverse opinions about true religion even then. But there's a third category. We need the second half of verse 41. Some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? So one group says, this is the prophet. Others said, no, this is the Christ. Already confused because the Christ was the prophet. But then others said, no, second group, he can't be the Christ because Christ doesn't come out of Galilee because in Sunday school, I learned one verse and it was Micah chapter five and verse two. And that is Jesus has to, uh, no, the Christ has to come out of Bethlehem. Oh, I want to deal a death blow today to proof texting the Bible. We do not proof text the Bible. We make sure we study every verse in the Bible in light of the other verses that are there. Lord, help us to do that. Some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? A third group of the Jews denied Jesus of Nazareth to be the Christ, for they thought him to be of Galilee, because from about the age of two or three or five, He grew up in Nazareth. That's where he went to high school. That's where he worked with his father, Joseph. That's where he lived when he commenced his ministry. And so for 25 years or so, he was known as Jesus of Nazareth. The devils called him Jesus of Nazareth. His apostles called him Jesus of Nazareth. His enemies called him Jesus of Nazareth. It was the truth. Jesus was from Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem. 
and he was of the lineage of David because Joseph had to pay taxes back in Bethlehem and he came from Nazareth to Bethlehem to pay taxes in the proper city where his family had grown up because the Jews were very particular about where they lived as far as their inheritance because of the tribal inheritance of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Joseph was from Bethlehem, and so was Jesus, the son of David from Bethlehem, but they didn't see that yet. You got to read Matthew 2 last night, which explained all that to you. And we're thankful for that wisdom that we have in Matthew 2. They didn't have Matthew 2, but they could have had Matthew 2 by just asking a few questions. Did you read last night that Herod was troubled when he heard the news that the king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem? Did it say that all the city of Jerusalem was troubled with him? Well, they sure got over their trouble in a hurry, didn't they? They should have gone and got a few questions answered. Where should they have gone if there were wise men wise men coming from the east that went on to Bethlehem, don't you think that somebody should have tailed them, trailed them, followed them, and seen the same things they saw? Lord, let's make sure we're thorough in our research and our study. The Bible says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. We don't want to make foolish assumptions because we learned a verse in Sunday school like John 3, 16. There's a whole lot more to the Bible than John 3.16. God surely allowed or arranged, I mean those equally, the details of his life to cause the Jews confusion. All this could have been easily verified, but they didn't do it. The Bethlehem-Nazareth confusion was their fault for inadequate research. Lord, help us. Are you ashamed today to be part of a cult? I thank God that I'm part of the cult of the Nazarenes. Amen. See, nobody knows what the word cult means. Any, anybody that uses the word cult against you doesn't even know what it means. Right. It's a slur word that they're just trying to make you look bad by calling you a cult. They don't know what the word means. Most of them would be barely able to spell it even though it's only four letters long. They'd probably C-U-L-D or something or C-U-L-T-E. They're so pitiful. They don't even know what the word means, and they just hurl it around. They don't know what a cult is. All a cult is is a dedicated group of religious followers right. of a person. We're, we are a cult. We are dedicated followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't have the word cult in the New Testament. They had the word sect. And Paul was accused of being a, ring, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Right. And he, they didn't mean the denomination in America today called the Nazarenes. They meant he was a follower and a ringleader of Jesus of Nazareth and was helping promote the knowledge of Jesus of Nazareth. And the Apostle Paul wasn't a bit ashamed to be that ringleader. After the way they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. Amen. He loved being called a heretic by people who don't know the difference between truth and error. And that was the Jews, and they knew the Bible a whole lot better than the fundamentalists we have to mingle with in Greenville, South Carolina. Some of those Pharisees had memorized the Old Testament word for word. They knew the middle word of the whole Old Testament. They knew that thing frontwards and backwards. Do you think they had to go home and use their Bible computer program to find out where the Christ was to be born when Herod said, where is he to be born? They knew Micah 5 too. Lord, help us. The confusion of religious people was terrible then. Do you know who was standing in front of them? The Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham. Shiloh from Judah had come. The leader and commander of the people was there. And they missed him because they knew the Bible so little and so poorly. Let that never be true of this church. We want to know the Word of God and we want to have Bible verses for everything we think, everything we say, and everything we do. Lord, help us. Verse 42, so they go to the Scriptures. Of course they go to the Scriptures. In this town, they're going to go to the Scriptures. But what about John 3.16? Oh, you've got to be kidding. Have you read anything else? So ignorant of the Bible 
to bring up one verse over and over again. When there's 36,001 other verses for them to look at. Verse 42. This is the third group. The first group said, this is the prophet. The second group said, this is the Christ about Jesus. The third group said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Because I've got a Bible verse. Or verses. Hath not the scripture said, verse 42, that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was. David grew up in the town of Bethlehem because his father Jesse was a Bethlehemite and because his great-grandmother Ruth came back from Moab and settled in Bethlehem because Boaz was of Bethlehem, and you can read all this in the Bible. So they knew that the Messiah that was coming was of David, the seed of David. Do you know how many verses there are in the Old Testament that the coming Messiah would be the son of David, the seed of David, would be called David, would be a king like David? Over and over those prophecies are given. So they knew the general thrust of the prophecy about the Messiah or about Christ would be from Bethlehem. And so they use that in verse 42. Group number three uses the scriptures to bolster their position that Christ coming, Jesus of Nazareth coming from Galilee can't be the Christ because the Christ doesn't come from Galilee. The Christ has to come from Bethlehem. So that's their reasoning. And that's what verse 42 is there for. The Jews appealed to scripture, which is very noble, but they were very wrong because they hadn't done the research to find out about Jesus of Nazareth and his birthplace. The birthplace of Jesus of Nazareth was not Nazareth, nor was his family lineage Nazareth. It was Bethlehem of Judea. You know, Luke tells us by the Spirit that the Bereans were called noble for doing the kind of study you've already heard this morning, and that's Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. They searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. But there are rules of interpretation to use in the Bible. The Bible says that a man of God must rightly divide the word of truth. And that's to put a proper sense upon the individual verses that make up the whole of Scripture. The Bible says, And so they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. There is one proper sense to be put on verses lest we go off into a ditch of error on either side. And that's the work of studying the Bible. And it's a workman that's supposed to do it. And it's labor and it's laborious. And it's what you ought to pray for your pastor and every God-fearing, faithful minister around the world that God will bless him in rightly dividing the word of truth. If they had searched the scriptures correctly, they would have found him because Jesus said, search the scriptures for they are they which testify of me. They knew the scriptures, but they didn't know them. And so Jesus on many occasions says, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, though they could have quoted the scriptures to Jesus, and though they wore those scriptures in boxes on their foreheads and their arms, they didn't know the sense of the words. We do not want a mere intellectual knowledge of the Bible. We want the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul was not content that those Ephesian believers were elect, justified, reconciled, accepted in the beloved, regenerated, born again with the seal of the Spirit of God and the earnest of their eternal inheritance. He was not content with that because just a few verses later in chapter 1, verse 17, Paul said, I pray without ceasing that you might be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. There's a whole lot more that you need to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ and it comes by spirit, revelation. And we need that. Lord, help us. There is no blindness so great as the man who will not see. And when you meet a stubborn person that is set in their denominational agenda, you have met a blind man that you are probably not going to be able to help. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5, it's called, Of this they are willfully ignorant. Because they did not want the kind of Messiah that would come from a little town like Nazareth and was so mean, obscure, and without comeliness like the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not want that. They wanted a physical, carnal, nationalistic commander and leader that would ride a white horse and deliver them from the Romans. But they didn't get that. They got a greater greater deliverance than that. 
and God destroyed the Romans anyway later. Are we under Rome? Are you kidding? Listen, Hitler had to send his very scarce divisions into Italy just to protect Mussolini and those poor people. Listen, if there's one thing you learn about from World War II, the Italians don't know how to fight. What in the world happened to them after the great Roman Empire that with iron-trod boots stamped the world into, its, into submission? But every, it's a joke about World War II. The divisions that had to be wasted keeping the boot of Italy for its own people because they couldn't fight. There's countless jokes about Italian soldiers, but I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. It's just something that's funny. I mean, you know, in Michigan, we always told Polak jokes because there were a lot of immigrants there from Poland. And I'm sorry for even talking about joking about someone's national heritage because that's not necessarily profitable or right. But the point being that there are differences in a physical, nationalistic leader and commander and deliverer and a spiritual one. Right. And the Jews wanted a nationalistic one and they got a spiritual one and Jesus right. conquered enemies far greater than Rome and he conquered Rome to boot anyway. Right. Simple methodology could have easily corrected the greatest doctors on earth. They missed the Lord Jesus Christ because that we're going to run into this again. We have already run into this before. Do you know what Nathaniel said to Philip when Philip came and said, I have found the Christ? Jesus of Nazareth. Can't be. There's no good thing that can come out of Nazareth. Where'd you get that prejudice? Jesus couldn't come from Nazareth. That was Nathaniel. Philip said, come and see. He walks up to Jesus and Jesus says, I saw you sitting under that fig tree. Really? You mean five miles over there? Five and a half. I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Beautiful. Beautiful, the Lord Jesus Christ. They should not have relied on a few proof texts in their doctrine of Christ. I'm speaking of these Jews, these common people that missed the, their Messiah. They should have studied all the verses together that prophesied of Messiah. They should have researched all the easily obtained information about Jesus, which they didn't do. There were big events that took place back then. Were all the children in Bethlehem and its suburbs, its, its adjoining towns, killed? Was that a pretty big event? Do you think it could have been found on microfiche at the library? The newspaper accounts? Why didn't they do that? Amazing. Men are ignorant. Why, why can't they figure out that Matthew 24 is already fulfilled? When Jesus said all these things shall come to pass on this generation? Why can't they figure that out? Because they have never stuck into a Google search box 70 AD. They have never stuck into a Google search box the destruction of Jerusalem. Because the only thing they can think about is their futuristic ideas of Jesus coming back to earth, reestablishing Jerusalem as the center of the world, and being worshipped there on some earthly throne, and us Gentiles crawling to them as second-class citizens. That's all they can think of. They can't imagine going backward to find out that Matthew 24 is 2,000 years old. All they have to do is type in the destruction of Jerusalem or Great Tribulation, and trust me, they're going to get more information than they can read in a lifetime about Matthew 24 being fulfilled already. Same problem. Same problem. We have actually excluded from this church a heretic that was sowing heresy among you that said, all you need is a King James Bible. You need no knowledge outside of a King James Bible. Really? Did you know that that person himself had to learn how to use a King James Bible by reading Dick and Jane? See Dick run. See Jane run. See Spot run after Dick and Jane. That's what you have to do in order to be able to use a King James Bible is learn how to read. Right, right. And if you don't know numbers, you can't do any of the calculations in the Bible that are numerically involved. And if you haven't ever been to a zoo and you don't know anything about animals, you can't appreciate anything said in the Bible about animals. There is knowledge outside the Bible you better have when you study the Bible, especially history when it comes to prophecy, because prophecy is fulfilled in history. Amen. 
Do you know what we just read in John chapter 7 and what we're going to read a couple more times in the Gospel of John? I have told you these things before they come to pass, so that when they come to pass, you'll know that I told you them in advance and believe on me. Well, do you know what that means? We've got to go back and find the historical fulfillment of something said in front of it. And what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and said it was going to come to pass on that generation did indeed come to pass on that generation. And it's very easy to find out about one of the greatest events in world history, and that was the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman legions. They should not have drawn conclusions until all all data was fully synthesized. It is heresy to think truth can be obtained without extra-biblical knowledge like I just explained to you. Like Christians today, the Jews took a proof text of Micah 5.2 that said the Christ has to come out of Bethlehem and ignored all opposing texts and did not do research on easily obtainable information. Like the Jews, the Presbyterians find the word sprinkling once in Ezekiel and come up with sprinkling for baptism. Not in the New Testament, in the Old, one time, and it becomes their proof text. If you've ever run into a Presbyterian and you ask them to prove to you from the Bible that sprinkling is the mode of baptism, they're going to go to the book of Ezekiel one time. Like Jews, Mormons have 1 Corinthians 15, 29 for their baptism underground in their temples of being baptized for dead relatives. But, oh, they've got 1 Corinthians 15, 29, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 29. So with that text, they don't care what you try to show them, what you try to tell them about the rest of the New Testament and the doctrine of baptism. They have their one little proof text. We do not want to do that. Like Jews, Arminians with John 3, 16 will ignore the hatred of God, hell, and the fact that that Jesus Christ is going to say to all the wicked, I never knew you. How in the world does he love them if he never knew them? Like Jews, the Church of Christ with Acts 2.38 will ignore the rest of baptism truth of the New Testament. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And with Acts 2.38, they think they can whip any Baptist preacher in the world. Here's what they teach their children. Give me an Acts and 2.38s and I'll whip any Baptist preacher in the world. You're kidding me. There's 36,000 other verses, folks. We don't do that. We better have a whole lot more than Romans chapter 9 and one verse about election. You better be able to explain things and show the hatred of God from Psalm 5.5 and the limited atonement of Jesus Christ. They'll not lose a single one of them. And you can explain it. God's shown us that. It's by His mercy. We believe these former errors. Like Jews, the Charismatics with Acts 2.17 ignore Joel's perspective. Because it says there, I will pour out of my spirit. When it says, I will pour out, is that future tense? It indeed is. I will pour out of my spirit. But they ignore the fact that Joel wrote those words 500 years before Pentecost, and they were fulfilled on Pentecost when Peter said, this is that. Can you get any plainer than this is that? That's short. I need things to be short to understand them. Like Jews, the future is take Elijah in Malachi 4, 6, literally, regardless of Jesus saying it was figuratively of John the Baptist. Do you understand these things? There are whole denominations all messed up for doing the very thing these Jews did. They missed Christ, and these denominations missed the real Jesus of the Bible. And so, so many more. Like Jews, the Arminians use Revelation 3.20 without a clue of its meaning. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. They don't have a clue what that verse is talking about. Because all they're concerned about is the Great Commission, and they think that verse is to get people into heaven and their, books, and their names in the book of life, and they don't care about the Holy Spirit indwelling their church like they ought to care, and the presence of Jesus being there in that candlestick like they ought to care, which is the real meaning of the verse. Thank you, Lord. Amen. By your grace. My brethren, be very cautious about proof texts. What does that mean? A proof text is a verse used by a person to prove a doctrine all by itself. You want to be able to reconcile opposing texts and find cross-references to support your text to show that it is the general teaching of the Bible, the, the, the broad teaching of the Bible that backs up your point of doctrine, Peter said, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. 
No individual or separate interpretation dangling out here like 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Baptism for dead relatives? Is that kind of alone? Is that kind of set apart by itself? Is that kind of private? Private. It's bizarre. But so is the rest of the Mormon church and their ideas. And so we say a text without a context is a pretext. Therefore, we need to read, study, and rightly divide with care and diligence the whole Bible. Thinking black and white on most issues is not righteousness, nor is it wisdom. And I want to warn you about that as well. While I'm, while I'm here about proof texting, Micah, Micah 5.2. They knew Micah 5.2, and we're going to come up to it again before we can get into this chapter. And that's all they cared about. And so they blew Jesus of Nazareth off. They blew all the claims off by having one verse. But he was from Bethlehem. They should have researched Jesus of Nazareth a little bit better. But thinking black and white is not righteousness, nor is it wisdom. It is anti-wisdom, and it is righteousness of Pharisees to try to be black and white. The Bible is not black and white. The Bible is wisdom. Wisdom is taking a variety or a various number and kind of principles and applying them to each unique situation and each scripture of the, of the Bible to find out what sense it should be understood in. When the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, is there, a wide, is there a wide number of other factors in the Bible to be applied to the words, thou shalt not kill? Yep. Indeed. Don't black and white me. You're missing the wisdom of God's word. I will have wisdom and I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Do you know what that does to commandments? Do you know what that does to the Sabbath commandment? Do you know how many Bible verses can be quoted from the Old Testament about the Sabbath? For Jesus and his apostles in the New Testament? Hundreds. Do you know what Jesus could say? I will have mercy and not sacrifice and blow them away. That's how we want to learn to use the Bible, is pulling all verses pertaining to a subject together and synthesize them, collate them, analyze them, and reconcile them all to preach one true doctrine. This makes the difference between truth and error. When you black and white things, then you end up over much righteous like the Pharisees. It's not the way the Bible's written. Black and white is not a good character trait. It's anti-wisdom. You will be intolerant where you should be tolerant. You will be unmerciful where you should be merciful. You will be quick and impulsive where you should be thoughtful and reflective to gather all bits of information before you make a judgment you end up judging by appearance instead of judging righteous judgment. Just a warning. While I'm on proof text, I wanted to get on that as well. You know, when the Bible says, swear not at all, are we going to end up like the Mennonites? Are we going to end up like the Jehovah's Witnesses? Are we going to be ashamed to do this? So help me God? You better not be. That's, that's worship. That's one of the highest forms of worship that you can have in public in America, is to do this in court. So help me God. You are appealing to the highest authority that you know. And that's Jehovah God in a proper situation for a proper cause. Jesus did it when he was on trial in Matthew 26, and we ought to do it as well. Christ cometh to the seed of David. Yes, I could show it to you by numerous proofs. And out of the town of Bethlehem. Yes, you read it last night in Matthew 2, where David was. Yes, that was, this, that was the city of David, the town of Bethlehem. Verse 43, so there was a division among the people because of him. This was common among the Jews, as John recorded. Look at 7.12. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. This same chapter, verse 12. There was much murmur among the people concerning him. Look at chapter 9 and verse 16. And the last sentence in that verse. And there was a division among them. Chapter 10 and verse 19. There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. Jesus causes division. And if you take a stand for the Jesus of the Bible, first of all, all the religions of the world that don't believe in Jesus are going to despise your religion. Then those that love another Jesus are going to despise your religion if you stand for the Jesus of the Bible. It's a very small number of people that have stood for the Jesus of the Bible. Christians, Christians supposedly stand for the Jesus of the Bible. Supposedly. There's 2.2 billion of them, with 1.2 billion being Roman Catholics. 
And then those churches that came out of Roman Catholicism, the Orthodox churches of the Eastern Catholic Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, they make up 2.2 billion. There's about 100 million Baptists. And among those Baptists, many of them don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. They believe in the Baptist Jesus. They believe in the Sunday school Jesus. They believe in the long-haired, hermaphrodite, Easter-rising, Christmas-performing Jesus. They paint him in their stained glass windows. They wear him around their craw, their, or their neck on a chain. But they don't really believe in Jesus. Paul said there was another Jesus. Paul was afraid his own church was going to accept preachers preaching another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. So there was a division among the people then, and like Christians today, there is a division here as well. The diversity of opinion and number of denominations confound most men. Do you know why many say they won't be a Christian? Because there's just too many splintered denominational groups, all believing different things. How will I ever know if it's the truth or not? Oh, really? Really? When the wise men got to the little house where Jesus was with his mother, they gave gifts. How many did they give to Mary? None. Did it say they gave them to Jesus? They fell down and worshipped. Mary? Jesus. He may have been two years old. He may have been five. They fell down and worshipped him, but they didn't worship Mary. Catholics never read the Bible. They don't care what the Bible says. All they want to make sure is that it is a very high vaulted ceiling when they get in there and the organ sounds good and there's incense to fill the air. And they get to have a sun god put on their tongue. And they get to light a candle for some dead relative to see if they can pray them out of purgatory. I don't care what the Bible says. Talk to a Catholic sometime. So there was a division among the people. We can rejoice at the confusion, for it has always been so, and we know the truth, and it will always be so, because God sent Jesus Christ into the land of Israel to blind them against the truth. God has been in the business of confounding men since the religion of Babel. There's one source document that can clear up the confusion of truth if truth is truly sought, and it's the Word of God, and studied the way the Word of God tells how it should be studied within its own pages. Do you understand the tremendous blessing of truth and the terrible punishment of error? In your preparation, I was hoping that you would grasp the confusion here. Their Messiah is there. There were timed prophecies for him. There were incredible events that took place. The Judean sky was ripped open for heaven's choir of angels to burst out in a field of shepherds. And those shepherds came to Bethlehem to find Jesus. Right. We don't know if there was a little drummer boy, but we don't believe there was. There were big events. Jesus stopped storms, fed thousands, raised the dead, caused the blind to see. On and on. And there stood their Messiah, right in their streets. I will raise up unto you a prophet from your midst of your brethren. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We are troubled when we see the confusion about your son when he made it so manifestly plain. But you had blinded a nation because they had rejected your prophets for hundreds of years. Truth and error are dramatic in their powerful consequences in the lives of men. Think naturally with me for a moment. See, these verses bring us to this fact. There was truth. There was a true person standing right in front of them, and all they could do was argue about it. This is the prophet. No, this is the Christ. The prophet and Christ were the same. He can't be the Christ, group number three, because he came out of Nazareth of Galilee instead of Bethlehem. This is the church. This was the church. 
These weren't the Egyptians or the Hittites. This was the church confused. And so we see so much confusion today, and I just want you to appreciate what truth God has shown you is a tremendous blessing, and it greatly changes your life. So let me give you a few examples of thinking naturally about the benefit of truth or the terror and trouble of error. Opposite sex marriage. You want to try that one out tonight? I mean, we, we want to try that one out tonight. Where are you? Yes, we do. Um, but we don't want same-sex junk. Look at the difference it would make. Right. Transgender confusion, Columbus and a flat earth, bleeding President Washington to death, Ignaz Semmelweis being fired for saving lives in asking doctors to wash their hands before they assisted at birth, vegetarianism, can you believe it? What would Outback do if we were all vegetarians? What would you do if all you could eat was broccoli? Value of authority spheres, kamikaze and suicide bombers, savings and risk avoidance, the ignorance of the American Indians. You know, when we got to this North American continent, have you ever thought about it? They had never invented the wheel. I remember when a man first laid that jewel on me. I had grown up practically worshiping Sitting Bull. A Sioux Indian. I read that book so many times. I'd go out in the woods with my bow and arrow. I'd sneak through trying to be as quiet as Sitting Bull if I could find a rabbit or a squirrel. They had never invented the wheel. No written language, no number system, nothing. The highlight of their life was to sit in a tent all winter. Instead of smoking their Gouda cheese, they smoked themselves with buffalo chips and worshiped the Great Spirit and wondered how a horseless carriage on two tracks could go so fast. By the grace of God, Right. We look in the Bible and we open its pages and find in just a few chapters there's chariots with wheels and wagons with wheels and a number system and a written language and men were building organs and artificers in brass in chapter 4. The first family, the first generation and its descendants coming out of Cain. Unbelievable the stupidity and amorality of evolution, capitalism and division of labor and leveraging an ox, things, well, I'm just talking about capitalism, savings, division of labor, and leveraging income-producing assets. Instead of chasing rabbits down with a boomerang, Absurd nationalism, a Republican form of government. Some of these things I mean in a positive way, some I mean in a negative way. Just the changes God makes in whether you have these things or not. Sewage disposal. You know, we didn't know how to dispose of sewage 150 years ago. We threw it out the window. Flight and other forms of travel. The first automobile, the first train. They thought that the human circulatory system would blow up at around 15 miles per hour. You know what you would do if you were on a train right now and it was doing 15 miles an hour? You'd want your money refunded for your ticket. Flight. How in the world, if, man was, if God wanted man to fly, he'd have given him wings. And you look at those little tiny wings and how the Lord showed Bernelli and others that it's the air that goes over the curved top of that wing that lifts the plane. Right. It is not the air under the wing. Oh, accurate measurement of all things. When you squeeze the pump at the gas station and there's 128 fluid ounces in a gallon, how many fluid ounces do you get when it says one gallon? 128. Can you count on it? When was the last time you took a container to measure it? Because we have accurate weights and measures. We are so blessed. Clean water and food, the definition of love, diligence and discipline for success, those are all things natural. And you, you reap the benefits of them every single day. And where they are corrupted, where any one of those things is corrupted in a nation or in a family or in a person, there is suffering that follows. Right. Let me mention a few things spiritual. 
the doctrine of baptism and being a Baptist. Do you know how huge that is? That God has shown us how to reconcile the sovereignty of God with the responsibility of man. He's shown us incarnate sonship, seven proofs of salvation, five phases, the historicism school of prophetic interpretation, Christian liberty, civil authority, cremation, Holy Spirit ministries in the church, Ephesians being an example, church body life, emphasis on love, the book of Psalms and its involvement in even New Testament worship zeal, conviction to delight in God, no more apostolic gifts, swearing and blood transfusions, vanity of emotions and feelings, mercy trumps sacrifice, wisdom is gray. Lord, you have buried us with truth natural and truth spiritual. When we say we are the most blessed people that have ever lived, it is by the grace of God only because it is not our diligence nor our intelligence nor our effort. It is God that has been merciful to us and it's the difference between confusion and truth. These people were confused even though it was their Savior, their Lord, their Deliverer of their nation if they would have just done a little bit of work, but they were blinded to it. And on occasions he spoke in parables so they wouldn't understand. And on occasions he went away and wouldn't be there. And he obscured things and he used metaphorical language. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for showing us so much. Jesus is the light of the world in ways that make Christian nations superior and we thank God for it. Think about priests and nuns and their celibacy and the sexual sins that it causes in the name of Jesus, in the name of Mary, what goes on in that church. Remember that we've already learned a key rule for truth. It was in this chapter, verse 17. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether I speak of myself or of God. Remember that? Let's obey the truth God has shown us, and he will show us more truth. Because of him, there was a division among the people because of him. The true followers of Jesus Christ will first of all be hated by those hating Jesus. Then they'll be hated by those loving another Jesus. The third time I've said this to you today, the book of Acts records the first category, persecuting the church often. The pagans of Rome, the epistles of Paul and others record the facts and prophecies of the other as well, of adding to the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. You'll be in a division like that if you follow the Jesus of the Bible. Amen. Try pressing the wonderful Christians you know about Christmas. Try pressing the wonderful Christians you know at BJU or Chick-fil-A about election. The destruction of Jerusalem, musical instruments, limited atonement, women speaking in church, the King James Bible, alcohol, baptism and dogmatism about it. Which comes first in 2 Thessalonians 2, Jesus or the Antichrist, and you'll find out how they don't really like your Jesus or his doctrine. Most Christians are dangerous. Christians are the ones that put our ancestors to death in the dark ages of Europe for 1,200 years in the name of Jesus. Roman Catholics. Verse 44, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Some in that group wanted to get their hands on the Lord Jesus Christ and haul him in for heresy and blasphemy, but no man laid hands on him because it was not yet his time. Are you certain about Jesus today? These people were confused. Are you certain? How has it changed your life? That second group of the three said, this is the Christ but we don't read a thing about them. What will be read about us? What is known about you? What is known about me? Has it changed our lives? How should it change your life? If truth, if knowledge, if Jesus Christ in truth and knowledge should be meaningful, how will it change your life today? How should it change your life today? If we don't change have life-changing faith in Jesus of Nazareth, we have no evidence that we really believe on him. Let us allow and choose for the doctrine of Jesus Christ to change our lives. Let's live for him, not just believe on him, but believe on him, live for him, and change our lives to please him more perfectly. He has shown us the truth. He's shown us knowledge. He saved us from confusion, from a division, We're going to be divided from others. 
let it be. We'll do our best to try to convert them. We'll push our website. We will try to sneak into their homes with the Proverbs of Solomon. We'll do whatever we can, but the Lord's going to have to open their eyes, open their hearts, and until then, we thank him for doing so for us, and let's live in response to it.